Welcome to Central Assembly's podcast. Today's message is from a guest speaker. We pray this message speaks to you. Good morning. I'm glad to be here. And the name of our ministry is Christ in Action. It's not Christ in the pew. And it's not Christ in a committee. You know, if you have a bunch of dogs, it's called a pack. If you have a bunch of cows, it's called a hurry. You're learning. A bunch of fish, it's called a If you have a group of turkey vultures, it's called a zoological name for a bunch of turkey vultures is called a committee. (laughs) True, true. And and a, a pack of baboons is called a Congress. So at least we're not a Congress. And, uh, Somebody said, yeah, committee, they just sit there and pick something to death. I'm like, no, no, no. They take something that's dead and then pick it apart. So I'm not sure. But I'm excited to be here on missions weekend this whole month, I guess, is your missions thing. And I just want to put my own plug in for your faith pledge. Listen, can you outgive God? No. Okay, so why not put him to the test. Why not say, God, I feel this is the number you're telling me that I can do. I can't see it in my own mind. I can't understand it, but I know that you can because I've, and put that faith pledge down. It's called stepping out in faith and put that pledge out there. Say, God, I'm going to do this. And see, I can say that because I'm not your pastor. I'm not in your, on your missions list. I'm not one of your missionaries. I'm not going to get any of that money. But I know that the kingdom of God will get that money, and the kingdom of God will grow, and we'll have more people in the kingdom because each one of us steps out just a little bit further in our faith. Don't lean onto your understanding. Don't go by what you know, but go out by faith and make that faith pledge because that's, and you'll be, You'll be rocked. I mean, it'll, it'll blow you. You'll be like, whoa, God did it. And your buddy will be like, uh, no kidding. Yeah, that's just the way God does things. So I'm glad to be here. Um, we do disaster relief. The Assemblies of God has two official disaster relief organizations. Can anybody name one of them? Convoy of Hope. Can you name the other one? I'm going to go home. Yes, it's Christ in action. We have the same standing. It's just convoys, the gargantuan, and we're the little guys. But when we get on the ground, we always work with the convoy because we don't do what the convoy does. We can't. And the convoy doesn't do what we do. They can't. They're not set up that way. But when we work together, we do just about everything. Isn't that what the Bible wants, is a body to work together, how good and how pleasant it is when the brethren dwell together in unity? And we're, we're a smaller organization. <clears throat> we deployed to Newburn, North Carolina for Hurricane Florence. And then we did something that we've never done before, and we've gone to a second state, and we're working down by Myrtle Beach at Con- Conway, South Carolina, and we run two deployments at once. And then Hurricane Michael hit, and we have a a lot of equipment pre-deployed in Mobile, Alabama. So now we're working in a third state. We're working down in in Florida where Hurricane Michael, it looked like 400 tornadoes just went up through there and destroyed from Mexico Beach all the way up through. It's just, it's, it's bad down there. My daughter lived down there. She lost everything she owned except what she got out with before the storm came. And it took our team, 15 guys cut 30 trees out of the way so they could get to her apartment and realized she lost everything. And that's just one little apartment. There are thousands and thousands of people down there that have lost everything they own. There's thousands of people in Conway that have lost everything they own. And up in uh, Newburn, North Carolina, Newburn is just outside north and uh, west a little bit of, of Wilmington, Delaware. They took the hardest flooding hit. They're right on the Noose River. We did one house It was three weeks after the hurricane went through, we could get into the house. It was under 14 feet of water for three weeks. We get in there, and one guy's looking up, he goes, look, there's dead fish hanging in the trees. Dead fish. Yeah, another place in Conway, South Carolina, I was talking to the gentleman that 
It was a neighbor of a house we were gutting. He said, yeah, I saw an eight-foot alligator walk down the street here yesterday, and he was picking up some of the dead fish on the street, and he was eating them. And it's just, it's a mess. But what we do is we go into areas that are devastated by natural disasters or man-made disasters, and we help get them ready to rebuild. We have feeding capabilities. We can feed up to 15,000 meals a day. On 9-11, Christ in Action headed up the feeding on the Pentagon parking lot. We fed over 55,000 meals to the recovery workers. These are the people that are pulling the body parts out of the debris. And they would be pulling the body parts out, (coughs) carrying them out, and then all of a sudden they would realize what they were doing. And I became the go-to guy for them to sit down. We'd sit down and we'd get a cup of water, a bottle of water, and we'd talk to them. I had a man took 30 minutes talking to me when he found a burnt finger because it had a wedding band on it. And he talked about the man's family. Maybe he had kids. I wonder if he was a grandpa and he had grandchildren. And he just talked to me about that. When, when one guy, I can't even describe what he told me he brought out because I see young kids in here. And, and he's just looking at, in the faces of who he brought out. And he's like, I, I, I need to talk to somebody. And they're like, well, you need to talk to Dr. Nisley over here. And he would sit down and we would talk with him. And then dignitaries from around the world would come to D.C. and they want to see how the United States is dealing with the worst attack on their military headquarters in history. And, and thousands of workers in there working on the, on, inside the rubble of the Pentagon. And they're like, how are you feeding them? And we, have a, we had a tent set up, a 9,000 square foot tent, and that was a dining hall. So they'd come, they'd introduce them to me, and these people from around the world would say, so how do you, how do, you do this? How do you get this contract with your government? And I'm like, contract? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, so they pay you. I'm like, Paid? No, no, no. We do this for free. We do this to help our, our community. And they're like, how you, how you get paid? And I told them, oh, we have an organization that supports us. It's bigger than the U.S. government. They're like, bigger than U.S. government? Why is that? It's the body of Christ. It's churches across America and around the world that realize these people need more than just a meal. They need help, and they need hope, and we've come to bring help. You know, I got to share Jesus with Ted Kennedy under that tent. I got to share Jesus with Jesse Jackson under that tent. And how many of you know who Marion Barry is? Was. Thank you. The former mayor of Washington, D.C., he's the guy who's caught with hookers and cocaine on hidden cameras and stuff. Well, he, and I'll tell you the story real quick. Him and his wife and his spiritual advisor came under the tent, and they wanted to know what's going on. And so we all grabbed a cup of coffee. We're sitting around one of those plastic tables like you have out there, those lifetime tables, and we're drinking coffee, and he's talking. He's across from me. He's talking to me, and he says something, and he says, you, you know what I mean, brother? And I said, oh, hold it. You're not my brother. He goes, oh, no, 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 man. I'm not talking about, about the color of our skin. He said, I'm talking about our father. I said, well, exactly. It's not a skin thing. It's a sin thing, Marion. I said, I'm talking about my father, God, and your father's the devil. He didn't like that. Now, if you know Marion Barry, if you remember, he was a, he was a very dark-skinned black man, and he turned red, and he looked at me, and his veins started to swell, and he just went off on me. Now, you got to understand, there's hundreds of people underneath this tent eating a meal. I'm over in the corner at a table with Marion and his wife and the spiritual whoever he was, and... He starts, who do you think you are speaking to Marion Barry that way? I'm like, he's speaking in a third person. So now I know there is a a devil in there. And he goes off and he's just railing on me. And I've got a bigger mouth than most people, especially bigger than Marion Barry. And I said, I'll tell you who I am. 
I said, I'm somebody that cares about you more than anybody else, and I don't care about your political prowess. I don't care what you say. I've watched your life, and you don't have any fruit of God in your life, and you can't claim to be a Christian, but I'm here to tell you how you can serve God. I give a rat's tail about your future, and nobody but your wife loves you more than I do. And all of a sudden, Mama Berry just takes her hand she is a, she's an inner city mama. She took her hand, and I'm, I'm looking at him, and I am, I am railing on him, and now the whole tent is looking at us, and he's looking at me like, oh my God, this white guy's going to eat me. And she takes her hand, and she slams it on the table. Our little styrofoam coffee cup bounces and spills. Mr. Spiritual Guru's backing off the table. She looks up, and I said, um, I'll be there in a minute, God. <laughs> I'm dead. I just haven't fallen over yet. And she leans across the table, and she points her finger right down the barrel of my face, and she says, you tell him, preacher. You're telling the truth now. And I'm like, whoa, I got mama. Ooh. When it's you and mama, you win. And I got to share with him. We sat there for 45 minutes. And when we were done, he said, I got to go, but I want to come back. I said, Marion, you're more than welcome to come back. I invited his wife back. I said to the spiritual guy, I said, you're not welcome here anymore. I said, I want to pray with you. He lunged for me, and I held him in my arm. I had a light blue T-shirt on. I held Marion in my arms, and I prayed with him. And he wept like a baby in my arms. As I pray, he says, I've never met anybody like you. I've never, I've never met anybody as real as you are. I said, you've never met anybody that loves Jesus like I do, and he loves you. And when he left, I had Marion Barry tears and snot running down my shirt. Why did that happen? Because I was able to go into a place and serve food to people in need. Is there anybody in here that can't scoop beans out of a pot and put them on a plate? Is there anybody in here that can't walk around tables and pick up empty dishes and empty cups and walk over and throw them in a trash can? Is there anybody in here that can't operate, at least halfway operate, a yard rake? I mean, we're talking some deep spiritual stuff here, folks. We're talking stuff here that only the few elect can do. Some of us even take those garbage bags and lift them right out of the can. And we sit them down, we tie them up, and then we do the ultimate. We throw them in a dumpster. Because we did that, we were able to reach thousands of people for Jesus. Thousands of people for Jesus. You see, my wife Sandy and I can't do that by ourselves. We need help. And you're standing there, and look, look, here's how difficult this is. You do this. That's not a knife. That's a spoon going into a pot of beans. Okay, stick with me, folks. And you do this. And you put it on the plate. But while you're doing see, that's your disguise. You are as disguised as a bean scooper. Well, what you are in real life is you're a Holy Ghost hitman. Your eyes are ever moving, and you see a young mother and a little kid coming through the line to get some food, and she has that thousand-mile stare, and she's just dragging her kid that she doesn't even realize is back there, and you, you put beans on her plate, and you watch her go through the line, and you tap. You ever watch that WWF tag team? You tap out. You tag your partner say, do the bean thing. And you watch that lady pick up a couple bottles of water. Ah, oh, I see where she went. You walk over. And you just sit down across from her and say, would you like some water? My name's Denny. What's your name? Is there anybody in this room that could not do that? 
My God, we're not talking jumping up and down and doing Mexican hat dance or something like that. We're just... Where were you when the storm hit? And then shut up because they're going to talk for half an hour. Is it that difficult? It is not. You don't need a PhD. I was talking with Vicki earlier. Most people are trying to get their master's degree. I'm just trying to fulfill my master's decree. And then we graduate from there. We muck out houses. We go into houses like had 14 feet of water in them. Some of them have two or three feet of water. If they have a couple feet of water, we gut them at four feet because a piece of sheetrock is four foot by eight foot and you slap it back in there. We go in and we'll gut out the house, take out the furniture, take up the floorboards, take out the kitchen cabinets, the bathrooms, and pull out the drywall and the insulation and the heating ducts and stuff and get the house ready to dry out so they can do mold remediation and put their home back together. When we do that for a homeowner, we save them an average of twelve dollars to $18,000. Do you know what they'll do? They'll listen to anything you tell them. <clears throat> Many times my wife, Sandy, here, stand up. She just got in. She was over there beating on your kids. She's been married to me for 37 years. Boy, she blessed just living the dream. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it's a nightmare. And uh, together, we've, we've had 11 children. Um, we had 11 pregnancies, 11 healthy births, no miscarriages, uh, 10 daughters and one son. I am the mayor of Estrogenville. <laughs> we had eight girls, and then we had our son, Amos. When I saw that outdoor plumbing, I was like, what? <laughs> and then we had two more girls. So I am just telling you the truth. Me and Amos, we rule the house. <laughs> because the girls said we could. I have seven girls that are married. We have 11 grandchildren. We have more boy grandchildren than we do girl grandchildren, so we're starting to catch back up. Every one of my children serve God. Every one of my son-in-laws loves Jesus. Now, I gotta be honest with you, full disclosure, none of my grandkids serve the Lord. The oldest one's five, we're working on her, okay? We'll get her. She's, she's just that close. So just to say, we have, we have millions of dollars worth of equipment now that we go into cities and towns, and we help recover from disasters. Um, we have 57 pieces of equipment registered with the Department of Motor Vehicles, plus we have excavators, track steers, track loaders, just everything you need, chainsaws. We take trees off of houses. We tear churches down. We tear houses down. We, we do whatever it takes to help somebody begin to recover from a disaster. Two years ago, Hurricane Matthew, we went to Goldsboro, North Carolina. The, the mayor found out that we were coming. He said, I want to meet th this guy. So I went with the district superintendent. We sat in their boardroom with the mayor, the uh, city attorney, the city council, the ancillary uh, organizations that work with them. And they looked at me and I said, uh, now this guy, is a, he's a very liberal Democrat. And he said, uh, he said, what do we do? I said, this is your first rodeo. He said, yes, it is. I said, I'm a rodeo clown. I said, this, this is what we do. He said, well, walk us through it, Reverend. Tell us what, what to expect, what we're doing. And so I spent about 30 minutes talking to him about the processes, both governmentally and what we do. And I ended, I said, and I, I want you to know the name of our ministry is Christ in Action. We're a Judeo-Christian organization. And we will share the truths of Christ with your people when we work on their homes. And when we're done, we always pray with your people. So I, I want you to know that's going to be going on in your community. And it got real quiet in there. Everybody looked at the mayor. 
The mayor looked around and he goes, well, Reverend, this city could use more of Jesus. I said, it's going to get it. And we worked there for two months. <coughs> and after we were back home, they called and asked, and uh, Sandy and I went back down to Goldsboro, North Carolina. They had a special city council to honor Christ in action for what we did there. We only worked on a couple hundred homes, but we got the attention of thousands of people in the community for the sake of the gospel, to the point where the liberal democratic people realized that the Jesus people added something positive to their community. You know what it took? It took a lot of people working on yard rakes, pulling nails out with hammers, carrying insulation out and putting it into bags and doing tasks that seem menial. And while we're doing that, the homeowners stand there sometimes with just tears rolling down their cheeks. They're like, you have come from so far to do so much for somebody you've never met before in your life. Why would you do that? And my wife always says, well, because I had a bigger need than yours one time, and somebody came from a lot further away and met that need for free. And his name is Jesus. And we share with him. And we have a training coming here. Now, you don't have to be trained to work with Christ in action. In fact, down last year down in uh, uh, Corpus Christi, we had... Um, Two ladies that came in, flew in from California. They went on our website, registered, flew in from California. We have a chapel service each morning with some praise and worship and devotional and stuff. And they're like, just like Pentecostal people like you, like this. And turns out these two ladies are married to each other. And they're lesbians. And my team is like, oh, uh, what do we do? Because if you talk to them about Jesus, they say, oh, man, I love Jesus. I said, just love him. Just, you know what? Gay people can leave the gay community and become straight and go to hell. Amen. Alcoholics can stop drinking beer and whiskey all their life and go to hell. Drug addicts can come off of drugs and live clean the rest of their life and go to hell. but they can't know Jesus and get there. You can't do it. You can't do it. Listen, I'm a former drug addict. I'm an alcoholic. I burn, I burn all my brain cells out on coke and acid and LSD and smoking pot and drinking beer. I've got one brain cell left, and he's real busy this morning, so don't test me, okay? I was crippled. I walked with a brace on my leg. I had a work-related injury, had nine surgeries, a year and a half on crutches in and out of the hospital. They put me in a brace and said, I'm gonna, they're going to end up taking the leg off. April 3rd, 1977, just outside of Lancaster, Pennsylvania, I gave my life to Jesus. And I said, I got to sit down. I got a bad leg. They said, uh, well, Jesus healed crippled people today like he did when he walked on earth. Can we pray for you? I looked at the pastor and I said, what the blank have I got to lose? He said, a bad leg. <laughs> they thought I hurt my leg the day before playing sandlot football with my buddies. And I said, go for it. And uh, it was a Pentecostal people. You guys are weird. No, no, no. Shh, stop. You're weird. The, the morning before, I did a hit, of, a hit of LSD. Now I'm sitting in a barn with 350 of you. And they're going to pray for me. Now what do you do when you pray for somebody? You put oil on their head and you lay hands on them and you pray. Is that, is that what you do, pastor? Huh? They take that dab of oil, they put it on the forehead. Some guys make the sign of a cross. <sighs> That's spiritual. <laughs> and then you pray. People lay hands and you pray. They didn't do that in the barn. No. They did the blub, blub, splash. <laughs> blub, 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 blub. <laughs> My hair was long. It was down to here. I was a hippie. It's you know, bro cream couldn't have done more. Just, 
all down, running down my face. And then they thought I was going to get up and run out because everybody grabbed me. <laughs> and you will call it laying on the hands. I understand. But when you're, when you're me and my one brain cell is still tripping, they grabbed me. And then they went nuts. The women were like, they started speaking hieroglyphics. And the men were going, God, they're going to kill me. Now you tell me you're not weird. That makes me normal and you're not. When they were all done and they all shut up, the preacher looks at me. You know, it's like I wanted to open my eye and see if the coast was clear. And I look, and there's the preacher. You're healed. I'm thinking, how the blank does he know? Thinks he knows everything. And he says, well, try it out. I'm like, okay, okay, I will, I will. And I stood up. And I was like, I didn't have any pain in my leg. You see, when it, when it, when it got hurt, my foot was back here by my, up here by my waist. And it, the first time in two and a half years, I, didn't, I was like, wow. That was my vocabulary back. I can say it backwards, wow. But that's just, no, that's as far as my talent goes. And they said, well, try it out. And I'm like, the only way I knew I was healed is if I could take my brace off and I, I could walk. Because after about three or four steps, my leg wouldn't keep coming up under me and I would, I would fall. And this brace would bring my leg up under me. And so I pulled my pant leg up and I take my brace off. And they all look at it like, oh, he's a real cripple. But see, they had already convinced my one brain cell that Jesus is alive, that he does what he said he does. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was dumb. I bought the farm. And I took my brace off, and I started to walk. And my leg, I still remember the feeling. It just, it kept coming up under me. And I thought... This God that I'd mocked and laughed at and ridiculed and ignored, I, I, knew I, was a, I knew I was an addict. I knew I was an alcoholic. Listen, anybody that's a drug addict tells you they ain't, they, they know better. I knew, and for some reason, this God still cared about this crippled, drug-addicted, alcoholic, criminal, pervert, idiot, moron, enough to heal my leg. And I lost it. I started weeping. I jumped up in the air. I landed. And I ran around the inside of that barn like I was, like I was crazy. Just, you know, oil slinging off my head. I'm running around. I come all the way around the front. I jump over a bench. And I stop up at the corner. I hadn't run in two and a half years. I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I was, <gasps> and everybody's looking at me now. And I'm like, what the blank are you all looking at? God just blankety healed my blankety blank leg. What the blank is the matter with all you blankety people? The very first thing I did is I cussed the whole church out. You know what they did? They go, Hallelujah! You still think you're not weird? This is a tough crowd, Pastor. <laughs> I walked out of that barn, quit smoking cigarettes that morning, didn't want to. Never went back to drinking, never went back. No withdrawals. I didn't even have the desire. April 3rd, it'll be 42 years. I've been walking on what they wanted to take off. What can God do? He can do anything he wants. He can even use you as a bean server. <laughs> ah. Hardcore, baby. <laughs> but what you're going to do in your life, how many of you like to go to funerals? Raise your hand. 
Okay, keep your hand up. Everybody look around at all the hands. Look. You bunch of heartless people. You don't love them people. Or you'd, you'd want to go to their funeral. That's why you don't want to go. is because you don't love them, right? No. You don't want to go because it's awkward. Am I right? You get to a funeral and you're like, oh, I'm here because I got to. I don't, and, and it's, you don't know what to say. You know you're going to meet the loved ones and you don't know what to do. Am I right? How many, am I, am I right? Well, let me tell you. First of all, they have no memory of what you tell them but they remember if you were there. It's called the ministry of presence. Unless you say something stupid. <laughs> there was an assembly God pastor told a friend of mine, her sister, her niece, and her nephew, two nieces and nephew, are laying there in caskets. They were killed by a drunk driver. Their dad is still in the hospital in a coma. He walks over to comfort her and says, I, we, we know how you feel. Our dog died last month. Yeah, guess what? She remembers that. And somehow, he honestly, oh, he's a pastor. He meant to say something good. But he ended up with hoof and mouth disease. And so many times, that's what happens to us. We don't really know what to say because... We're not sure what to do. And we have training for that. When the, how many of you remember the Virginia massacre at Virginia Tech where they killed 30-some students? I went down there that day. It's four and a half hours from my house. And my wife got me a hotel room. I was up till 3, 3.15 in the morning talking with students. I got to my hotel room on the sixth floor. I had to get up in the morning at six o'clock, so I basically took a short nap. And... They didn't have coffee in the room, and I was in need of Jehovah Java. <laughs> I was across the hall from the elevator, and I, I stumbled out. I hit the button on the elevator, uh, hit the lobby button. I'm standing there waiting for the doors to close. I didn't even have the energy to close the doors. I just waiting. And all of a sudden, this guy shoots in beside me, and he pushes the lobby button and looks at the floor, and I'm thinking, he looks worse than I do. And I looked at him and said, sir, are you okay? He said, no, I'm not. I said, uh, somebody you know involved in the events here on the campus. He looked at me and said, he shot my daughter. Remember, I have 10 of them. And I thought, oh my gosh. Some of them survived. And I said to him, I said, sir, I'm sorry to hear that. Did she survive? He looked back up at me and said, she's dead. Now, we're Bible-believing, Jesus-loving people. What do you say? What do you say? A lot of people say, well, I want you to know God loves you. Yeah, well, why the hell did he leave my daughter die? Valid question. And some of you are probably more upset that I said the word hell in your pulpit than you are the fact that your neighbor's gone there and you haven't stopped him yet. How do you answer that man? I've had people say, I'm a hugger. I give him a hug. Well, he may punch you in the mouth. What do you do if you're at work and a coworker comes over and says, and they're shook? And he said, my husband has been diagnosed with terminal cancer. How do you answer? What do you say? We're, we're, remember us? We're the, the radical Pentecostal, heebie-jeebie, hieroglyphics, schlock with the oil type people. What do you, what? A lady comes to work and says, my husband's just confessed he's having an affair and he wants a divorce. How do you talk him off the cliff? How do you talk to him? What do you say to him? That's some pretty tough business. How do you answer them? We all hit tragic situations, amen? 
We all get in front of people that say, I'm going through this. And they, they, it's, it's almost like they take this big truck, they back up and they dump it on your lap and expect you to say something. And it's hard because if you say the wrong thing, I'm going to talk about it like the pastor with the dead dog. But if you say the right thing, it's like apples of gold in settings of silver. And a lot of us avoid any situation like that, not because we don't love the people, we don't feel like we're equipped. After, not, after Katrina, um, President Bush asked my wife and I to join a lady, her name's Fran Townsend, you may have heard her in the news and stuff lately, but to join her in a report to the White House on how the government interacted with the faith-based community. And it subsequently asked us to sit on the White House roundtable for faith-based disaster relief. Now, we, we don't get a nickel of government money because then they're going to try to tell me I can't talk about Jesus and you're going to hear somebody stand up and testify about Denny Nisley's ministry in the federal penitentiary. Because I'm not going to shut up. I don't care how much money you give me. And so we don't, we don't take their money. We don't get their money. But he asked us to put together a coalition of faith-based organizations and faith-based individuals to respond. Um, initially, in the Mid-Atlantic region, we have a, a memorandum with the U.S. military. If there's a nuclear, chemical, or biological attack, a dirty bomb of some sort that goes off in D.C., that we'll go in with the military because we'll set up outside the hot zone and feed up to 15,000 people a day. And then we have a tractor trailer that we can do 800 hot showers a day and we could do chemical decontamination in our shower unit. And so we would set this up and we would join them for free. But we would need a lot of people. When we're doing 15,000 meals a day, we need 60 people working in our kitchen from about 3.30 in the morning to about 12 o'clock at night. And that's where the the body of Christ, remember I told those people from other countries, that's where they rotate in and out and they do that kind of work. That's what we did down at Katrina. That's what we did on the Pentagon parking lot. That's what we did in, at Ground Zero in New York. And then, then to deploy across the nation to other disasters. And we have put together what's called faith-based first responders. You see, when, when the Israelites were gonna go to war, God said, send Judah first. Not because he didn't like Judah and wanted to get him killed off, okay? It's because Judah was in charge. They were in charge of praise and worship for all 12 tribes. They were like Adam up here. They, they led worship. And God says, I inhabit what? The praises of my people. So the God we serve, he wanted to be in the battle first because he ain't no sissy. Okay, we don't have a sissy God that sits up there and tells us to do something that he won't do. He wants to be in the battle first. The only way he could get there is through praise and worship. And see, now, since Jesus died, the veil has been rent, and he moved out of wood and nails and gold. He moved into flesh and blood. He lives in us, and he still wants to be the first one in the battle. How's he going to get there? We're going to take him there. When the last person leaves church, God's gone. When the first person comes back to church, God's here. This is the temple. This is the sheep shed. This is a pastor. And he's extra weird. I think pastors basically are a freak of nature. Wouldn't you think so, Gary? I can prove it. He cares about you. I don't. He'll sit down with you, talk with you through your problem, minister to you, pray with you, give you some steps how to overcome your stupidity, I mean, your problem. <laughs> and then you go, and you come back for another visit, and I'll say, so did you do what I asked you? To? Oh, no, pastor, I was so busy. Okay, well, remember, this is what we want to do. Let's pray again. I'm like, look, dude, 
I told you how to get over it. Now leave me alone until you do it. You see, he smells like sheep. I smell like goats. I'm an evangelist. Now, aren't you glad he's your pastor and I'm not? So this is Pastor Appreciation Week. Ushers, bring the, um, the offering baskets. They're going to really appreciate you when I'm done. I'm not a pastor. I'm an evangelist. My job is to equip you to reach the lost, to give you the tools that you need, to make you effective, offensive weapons for his kingdom, to create avenues for you to go out there and reach the lost. And Washington, is it Washington Estates? That's just the first step. The Bible says go into all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. That's your Jerusalem. Get your foot into Jerusalem. Somebody may accidentally get saved. For crying out loud, then he's going to have to preach twice on Sundays because there's too many people here. Listen, a week ago, Pittsburgh, the surrounding area, the nation and parts of the world were reeling from what happened last Saturday in your community. And every one of you knows somebody that has somebody that is linked back to that event. We have something to say in those times of need. We have an answer for the people, whether they're Jewish, secular, Christian, whatever. We have an answer for them, and it's in the Word of God. You see, if we keep what we have in the four walls of this church, we are doing nobody any kind of service because there's 168 hours in a week. You're here two of those. You're out there for 166 of them. There's 132 times in the New Testament where Jesus interacted one-on-one with somebody, like the woman with the issue of blood, the woman at the well, the man with the withered hand, the guy that was lowered down in front of him, the lepers, you know, those type of things. There's 132 times in the scripture. Four of those took place in the temple. Six of those were in the synagogue and 122 of them were outside of any building. But yet as Christians, we focus our Christian walk on the two hours that we're here. This, this, we, we really focus on this, don't we? On these two hours. And many of us come in here with our fake Sunday morning smile Praise the Lord. Oh, God is good. All the time. Oh, all the time. God is good. And we're hurting. And there's two reasons, three reasons that you don't share that with people. Number one, they probably won't really care. Number two, they may say something stupid. And number three, there's a slight chance that they will say something good, but you're not willing to take that risk. So you hide your private pain, you come in with your fake Sunday smile, and you act like you're this happy, got-it-together Christian. Wow, do you hear how quiet it is in here? Can I be honest with you? We do. How do I know that? Because I've been there. You're hurting. My marriage is in a mess. My wife has been beating the crap out of me. Well, no, she didn't, not really. But we've had, we've had a bad marriage. We argue, we fight, we just at each other's throat. And, and I'm the preacher. And I get to the church and we're arguing and the preacher says, hey, and we're like, oh, praise the Lord. And we stuff all that hurt. We stuff all that pain just for those two hours. Then we go and we live in it for 166. That's not what God has designed for you. That's not what he has designed for us. He wants us to come in here for two hours to get fed, to get strengthened, to get healed, to get healthy, to get whole, to get built up so we can go out there and we can spend our lives for what it says right there, advancing the kingdom of God in some of the places that we might accidentally get to. That we can advance the kingdom of God everywhere we go. So stop being the phony Christian when you come to church. Be honest with somebody. It's amazing. You say, you know what? I'm really in a bad mood. The guy looking at you might say, hey, me too. (laughs) Really, I never thought you'd get mad. Oh, yeah, I've just been faking it like you have. (laughs) 
But wouldn't that be refreshing? <laughs> Pastor's like, yeah, darn right it would. Then I tell him I'm all pissed off too. <laughs> well, you think he doesn't get angry? Wait, does your husband ever get angry? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> the dutiful wife, no. I just point to the kids and he takes it out on them. I hate to blow your bubble, but your pastor is a human being. He needs your help. He can't take care of all the bad stuff that happens around the church and around the community. When we were asked by the White House to put this coalition together, and by the way, I'm running overtime. I just realized that. Um, so, but we got to turn the clock back an hour. So... Um, lock, lock, lock the doors. <laughs> thank you, thank you. If you have a roast in the oven, you can count it as a burnt offering. <laughs> you should have invited me and Sandy for lunch. We'd have made sure we're out of here in time. But no, you didn't invite me, so I don't care about your roast. We said that we would build this coalition of faith-based first responders, because based on our faith, and President Bush said to me, he said, how can you be a person of faith that your faith is so strong that it causes you to get involved in your community? How can you be involved without mentioning your faith? He said, Denny, you can't do it. And he's right. And he started the faith-based initiative. And we call our training faith-based first responders. And I want to invite you to come and to be a part of it. It'll teach you what to say if you're in an elevator with a man with a dead daughter. It'll teach you what to say if you're at work and somebody just gets a pink slip out of the blue. If somebody's got a, a, a bad diagnosis or a bad marriage or uh, a we encouraged 13 and up to come in, in, as teenagers because, you know, at school, the boyfriend breaks up with you. We have a crisis. And this, this has been written by, this course is written by the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation, the ICISF. They are a non-Christian, non-spiritual, secular mental health organization. I call it uh, psychobabble, Okay. And I had this training in 2006 when I was speaking at a symposium in uh, uh, San Jose, California, and they were having this training on the side uh, as a part of their conference, and they said, because you're a speaker, you and your wife get to go in and sit on this for free. And I said, look, this is what I've been doing for 25 years. I don't need a bunch of psychobabble. And he goes, okay, Mr. Spiritual. I'm like, oh, you know me. And he goes, uh, you just sit in there and you sit in the back. And if you don't like what he's saying, just quietly get up and walk out. I looked at my wife and said, yeah, we'll do that. So we sat in the back with the Presbyterians because they, just because they were back there, they're great people. And um, the speaker got up there. It's a two-day, eight hours each day, two-day training, college level, Halfway through the first day, I leaned over to Sandy and I said, I feel like I don't know anything. I'm saying all the wrong stuff. And I sat through that training and it changed my ministry. And I told my wife, I said, this is the training we need to train our faith-based first responders. And I spoke with the trainer who happens to be an ordained Assemblies of God minister. Huh? That's a rare one. And um, not a pastor. He's going to steal second any minute. And I said, I want this for our training. Explain to him our commitment to the White House. And I said, but I want it from a biblical worldview. I want it from a Jesus perspective. Now, the ICISF is the global gold standard for critical incident stress management around the world. They're recognized by the United Nations, so this is good stuff, but it didn't have anything to do about Jesus. 
The curriculum has been rewritten, still certified from a biblical. How do you, how do you bring Jesus into a conversation? When do you bring him into the conversation? How do you share Christ without saying, well, Vern, you've been born again, washed in the blood, sanctified by Jesus. Huh? Do you speak in another tongue? Huh? How do you do it? How do you find out? Well, Dr. Gary Evans, the guy that taught in, in, San, in San Jose, rewrote that curriculum, and we are now... They have 1,300 trainers worldwide, and we're like in the top five producers of graduates, and it's all for Jesus. And we have Dr. Evans sitting right over here. Stand up and wave at us, Dr. Evans. I've been through the training 30-some times, and I still think, oh my gosh, I'm saying the wrong things. No, I don't. But I, I just, I get something out of it. And when the ICISF puts this training on, it's $350, and you don't hear anything about God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, praying, nothing. You don't get a bottle of water. You don't get a tic-tac. You don't get nothing. You get 350 bucks. You get the manual and the slides. We put the exact same training on, adding all the biblical perspectives we feed you a catered lunch both days. We feed you a continental breakfast. We feed you snacks, uh, mid-morning, mid-afternoon snacks for $170, and you get the exact same accreditation that they, that they give when the ICISF puts it on themselves. And you become a Holy Ghost hitman out of the class. Now, that 170 bucks we have put on an early bird special. You can get it for $145 if you'll sign up this weekend. And we're gonna have it right here in this class, we're in, in this church, and we have the brochures out at the table, and I want, you to, I want you to sign up. We shoot for 70 people in our class. We need you to sign up. We need you to be a part of this. You can fill this out. Dr. Evans will be back there. My wife, Sandy, will be back there, and, and I'll be back. Now, my wife taught your children's church, so she'll probably be doing autographs for the kids, but if you can snag her, she'll talk to you about this. And I really want you to come. I want you to be equipped. I want you to be ready to answer, because God doesn't send the equipped, he equips the sent, and all of you admit that you're sent. You, you admitted that earlier. So I want you to be equipped. I want you to get this training, and I can brag on it because I didn't write it, and I don't teach it. Dr. Evans teaches it. He does a phenomenal job. And then we have a brochure on our ministry back there. I want you to pick it up, go on our website, fill out the volunteer registration thing, because then you'll get all of our junk, I mean, all of our emails about what we're doing, how we're doing it, what God's doing in our ministry, and you can pray for us. One story before I show you a quick video. In Wimberley, Texas, three years ago, we were working in a nasty flooded area. We'd worked on about 127 homes, and they said, would Christ in action be in our 4th of July parade? It's the biggest event in Wimberley, Texas every year, and this year it was twice as big as ever because of the floods. And so we put our excavators and our track loaders on these big trailers and hung Texas flags, American flags. We had a little band on there singing, God bless the USA, and our volunteers in red shirts walking along, throwing candy out at people. And Sandy and I were in the lead truck pulling the excavator, and people would stand up and clap Thousands of people stood up and clapped and yelled, thank you, thank you for coming. We worked on 127 homes, but we got the attention of thousands of people for Jesus. It's, it impacts entire communities. We've gotten all kinds of stuff from Congress and from cities and states because of what we do for Jesus. And this is a lady that my wife met, and I want you to hear her story, and then I won't be back up. I'll meet you in the back. My name is Jean Brickard. Uh, I'm from New Bern, North Carolina. Uh, before this storm, New Bern was not real well-known, but I think now when people say New Bern, 
there's a real reaction. There's a reaction because people saw it on the news. And even when you see it on the news and you watch it on TV, you cannot begin to know what people are going through. During the middle of the night, I came upstairs with a flashlight, and when I shined it out into the living room, I just saw water everywhere. And um, we hadn't flooded, but the wind had pretty much cleaned off the roof, and it was coming through the roof, through the insulation, and through the drywall. So I knew, I knew what was coming. I knew what it was going to look like because during Floyd, I was on the other side. I did disaster relief. And I think that's one of the blessings right now is that I understand that it's such a slow, slow process. And these people that come in and work and help, my whole house has been gutted um, by Christ in Action Group. They're just, they're amazing and they need help. And I can promise you that if you help, it will be a bigger blessing to you than to the homeowner. When I was helping with Floyd, and I was meeting with people and praying with them and helping them. I really didn't know how they felt. And I realize that now because I am on the other side and it's very different. It's very, very different. But, um, you know, we would tell the people that we would help them and help them get back home and, and pray with them and, you know, do anything we could to help. And that's what this group does also. I never visualized or imagined that I would be on the other side. But God had other plans. Um, when I was working with work teams, I would tell each of them, you're not here by accident. It's a divine appointment. And your life will be changed because you get to interact with people that are hurting. So, you know, if you've never volunteered, you should. Everybody should teach your children. Teach them to care. Uh, you don't have to be you know, six foot two and nothing but muscles. The women were out here helping to get out this house. And I would say, go and help. And if you can't do that, then pray. Pray mightily for them, for their safety and their wisdom, and pray for the families that they're helping. Because when they're helping, they're showing Christ in action. say thank you, Dr. Nisley, for sharing um, today and, and just challenging all of us. We're coming to the end of the mission convention, but this isn't the end, right? Central is a missions church. We're a church that gives. We're a church that goes. We're a church that prays. So this week isn't to, to give one week to it and say, okay, we're done for a year. I hope that today these words challenge you. They challenged me. Am I, am I willing <clears throat> to not just sit back? Am I willing to be part of it? Am I willing to take risks? And my guess is, is that while Dr. Nisley was talking today, some of you had something in your heart where God clicked something. Maybe it was a, a word, go. Maybe it was, <clears throat> you could do this. Or maybe I have more for you. Or take a risk. Or just step out. Three years ago, um, I was talking with Eric and Julie Chandler about starting the Young Adults Group. And I told him, I said, I feel like God's telling me to give up my counseling license. And I don't know what to do. And he looked at me and he said, I think you do. <laughs> and that hurt. And it stung a little bit. Because it meant giving up my security blanket and it meant stepping out into something new. I did that. And then I got my credentials and then I get to do this. But it took that obedience there, that stepping out there, that making that decision that I wasn't gonna be putting my trust in my education or a license, I was gonna put my trust in God. In Isaiah 6, 8, he says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am send me if that's you today and you know that God's saying I need you 
I have something for you. Maybe you've been wrestling with it. Maybe you just haven't taken that step yet. Listen, I know it's late. It's 11.58. But he challenged you in a big way, Dr. Nisley did. And I'm, cha- I'm continuing that challenge. If you know that it's time for you to step out and take that step, whether being a bean scooper, I'm never gonna forget that image, or being a mentor at Washington Estates, or going to El Salvador, whatever it is, if you know that God has something more for you, I want you to step forward now. I want you to get up I want you to take that step of the faith and come to the front. Altar team, if you wanna come up here, I would invite you up here. Let's pray for those who know they've got a call. Altar team, if you know you've got a call and then you be on the receiving end, you don't have to be up here giving out. I want you to come up here to receive. Pastors, if you could come up here, you guys have all stepped out. Spouses, we've all stepped out. You have something to impart. Don't let this moment go because the hour is late. If you know that God has something for you, I challenge you, stand up right now. Don't let this moment pass and come forward. I promise you'll never regret it. Thank you for joining us. Be sure to check us out on the web at centralconnect.org.